PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. Today, we're taking a break from our green mini-series, and we are instead welcoming back Karsten Gonsauge to tell us about the developments at the IFRS Interpretations Committee meeting on the 30th of November and 1st of December. So welcome back, Karsten. Glad to be back, Andrea. So Karsten, at this meeting, it was quite a full meeting. Um, there were three topics discussed. Um, and two new topics for initial consideration and a comment letter analysis and conclusions on the tentative agenda decision on economic benefits from use of a wind farm, which was previously discussed. There was also planned to be a discussion about the comment letters received and subsequent analysis on the TLTRO3 transactions, which are the type of funding issued by the European Central Bank to banks and other credit institutions. However, the committee ran out of time to discuss this because of the very engaged discussion around negative low or new energy vehicle credits, which was one of the new topics of consideration. So um, let's start with that very interesting discussion then. Can you tell us a bit about this particular issue? Sure. So the committee received a request asking whether certain requirements that an entity could settle or avoid by changing its future operations meet the definition of a liability in IS-37. Now, this is a really interesting topic, and I would note that the IFRIC has already dealt with similar questions around when an obligation arises under IS-37 at least twice. That is, when issuing the interpretations IFRIC 6 and IFRIC 21. So quite a bit of the thinking around this topic is around if and how this fact pattern is different from those already dealt with in IFRIC 6 and IFRIC 21. Now, the request describes government measures that apply to entities that produce or import passenger vehicles for sale in a specified market. Um, at the end of each calendar year, entities receive positive credits if they have exceeded certain targets for producing or importing low emission vehicles during that year. And they receive negative credits if they have fallen short of those targets. The measures require an entity that receives net negative credits to eliminate them, either by purchasing positive credits from an entity with a surplus or by generating its own positive credits in the following year, which could be done by changing its future operations to produce or import a sufficiently higher ratio of low emission vehicles. Now, there are no direct cash penalties in case of non-compliance, but if the entity fails to eliminate its negative credits in one of those two ways, the government may, re may restrict the entity's access to the market. For background, this fact pattern is, is, is particularly common in China, so particularly relevant for automotive companies with operations in China. Well, let me kick this off with the staff analysis on this matter, which concluded that in the fact pattern described in the submission, an entity with negative credit has a present obligation that meets the definition of a liability in IS-37, except in the possibly rare circumstances in which accept accepting the sanctions for non-compliance is a realistic alternative to settling the obligation. So essentially, that there typically would be a present obligation at the reporting date. To explain, let's start with some reminders about the relevant requirements in IS-37 and then talk about what those mean for this particular fact pattern. Now, IS-37 defines a liability as a present obligation of the entity arising from past events 
the settlement of which is expected to result in outflow from the entity of resources embodying economic benefits. IS 37 also explains that an obligating event is an event that creates a legal or constructive obligation that results in an entity having no realistic alternative to settling that obligation. Um, IS 37 further clarifies that it's only those obligations arising from past events um, existing independently of, of an entity's future actions that are recognized as provisions. So in simplified terms, in order for a liability to be recognized, there must be an ob obligating event that has already occurred in the past and that must exist independently of the entity's future actions. So there was quite an engaged and energetic discussion on how these requirements apply to the fact pattern submitted and a bit of mixed views at the committee, to be fair. A few people were questioning whether there really is an obligation arising from past events that exists independently of the entity's future actions, while others were more in the camp that the entity's future actions affect how the obligation is settled and possibly the measurement of that obligation, but that, that this would not call into question the existence of an obligation at the reporting date in relation to any negative credits assigned to the entity. There was also a bit of discussion around how this fact pattern would be different from those analyzed in IFRIC 6 and IFRIC 21. And a few committee members suggested that any agenda decision should explain this more clearly and expand on why any obligation would exist independently of the entity's future operations in this fact pattern. At, at the end of the day, my sense was that probably most of the committee members agreed with the outcome proposed by the staff. That is that an obligation exists, but the end committee did not formally vote to issue a tentative agenda decision at this stage, and instead decided that the staff pick up some of the points from the committee's discussion and bring back a paper building in those discussions and also update the wording of the proposed tentative agenda decision accordingly, and then bring this back to a future committee meeting. So we will continue our discussion on this matter at a future meeting. My guess would be that we may have this back on the agenda at our next meeting, which will be on 1st of February of next year. Okay, great. So we can look forward to this new wording and this updated paper and keep an eye out for it in February and see, see if it does in fact come to that February meeting. Thanks, Karsten. Um, the second topic for initial consideration had, I think, a more straightforward discussion. Um, this was a question about whether a software reseller is acting as a principal or an agent when it provides software licenses to a customer. Could you tell us a bit about this issue, please? Sure. So, so this is, is, is about a submission that is asking whether in applying IFRS 15, a reseller of software licenses is a principal or an agent. More specifically, in the fact pattern described in the request, a reseller has a distribution agreement with a software, software manufacturer that gives the reseller the right to sell the manufacturer's standard software licenses to customers, uh, requires the reseller to provide certain pre-sales advice to each customer, and provides the reseller with discretion in pricing the software licenses for sale to customers. Also in the submitted fact pattern, the nature of the pre-sales advice varies depending on the customer's needs. So if the customer decides not to purchase software licenses, it pays nothing, and the reseller and the customer would not enter into an, in, into an arrangement. 
On the other hand, if the customer does decide to purchase a specified type and number of software licenses, the reseller would negotiate the selling price with the customer, place an order with the software manufacturer on behalf of the customer, uh, and pay the manufacturer, and then invoice the customer for the agreed price. So the software manufacturer would, 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 would then provide the customer with the software licenses ordered. And also if the reseller advises, advises the customer to, to order an incorrect type or number of software licenses, you know, that, that fails to meet the customer's needs, the customer may not accept the licenses and the reseller would be able, would be unable to return unaccepted licenses to the software manufacturer or sell them to another customer. So these are the facts on a high level. And so the question was whether the reseller is acting as a principal or an agent with respect to the standard software licenses provided to the customer. Or in other words, whether the related revenues from the sale of the standard software licenses should be presented gross on a net basis in the statement of profit or loss. Thanks, Karsten. And so the committee decided that it wouldn't add this project to its agenda and instead it would issue a tentative agenda decision. Um, could you tell us why? Yeah, sure. So on, on this one, the committee tentatively concluded that the principles and requirements in IFRS provide an adequate basis for a reseller to determine whether in the fact pattern described in the request, it is a principal or agent for the standard software licenses. So therefore, if an agenda decision is finalized in this respect, there's no need to add a standard setting project to the work plan. Now, on this topic, the committee noted that the fact pattern is highly specific and that, that it would not be in a position to issue a tentative agenda decision that concludes on whether the reseller is a principal or an agent based on the facts presented. Instead, the tentative agenda decision or TED was this, would essentially lay out a framework that a reseller would apply to decide whether it is acting as a principal or an agent. So I think on this topic, the staff have done a really good job in analyzing the matter and the committee has tentatively confirmed the staff proposal to proceed with this by issuing a TED that will set out the framework that will, you know, that will help resellers to decide whether they are acting as a principal or an agent. Now, let, let me finish this off with some personal observations that go somewhat beyond what the TED actually says. Now, if you look at the relevant criteria for assessing whether the reseller is acting as a principal or agent, I think it's fair to say that the existence and also the significance of the inventory risk of the reseller as well as the latitude of the reseller in establishing prices will be quite important factors in the analysis. My sense personally, based on my own experience, is that in these fact patterns, I would challenge how significant the inventory risk really is for the reseller, both in terms of how often this happens and how material the impact would be. So how many license would, licenses would actually be returned and how significant are the resulting losses for the reseller. On the pricing, I would note that the fact pattern says that the respective licenses are standard licenses. So therefore the same licenses would likely be sold by other resellers in the marketplace. Because of this, I would expect that the reality is that the discretion of the reseller to increase prices would be quite limited. So for these reasons, for the type of fact patterns that has, that, that has been submitted, 
My sense personally is that the reseller would likely be acting as an agent in most cases in practice. But as I said, uh, this is more, the FREC has more decided a framework um, that can be used by resellers to make that assessment based on their specific facts and circumstances. Okay, that sounds like it's quite useful guidance that's going to be included in there. Finally now, Karsten, the committee decided it would finalise an agenda decision on economic benefits from use of a wind farm, which we've discussed uh, in a previous episode of IFRS Talks. And I'm going to give my usual warning here that agenda decisions that the committee votes to finalise are only preliminary. They're subject to board approval and the official IFRIC update is available after that permission has been obtained. So with that warning in mind, would you be able to give us a recap of the issue, please? Sure. So we initially discussed this at the June IFRIC meeting and already covered this at the June podcast in quite a bit of detail. So, so I'll keep this short. Just as a quick reminder, this issue was about whether a power purchase agreement or PPA in a gross pool electricity market contains a lease. In such a market, purchases and sales of electricity are made via the, the market's electricity grid at the spot price, which is set by the market operator. And the PPA essentially swaps the spot electricity market price for its fixed price per megawatt for, for, for volume that equals the production of electricity of a particular wind, wind farm via a contract that is settled net in cash. So economically, the retailer that is buying the electricity has exposure to, to the price risk in relation to the electricity produced by the wind farm, but it does not contractually have the right or obligation to actually obtain any of the electricity produced by the wind farm. If, if you're interested in more details on the fact pattern, and views presented, I encourage you to go back to the June IFRIC meeting papers or listen in again to our June podcast. Now, the IFRIC tentatively concluded back in June that the arrangement does not contain a lease. So the staff has now presented the committee with an, an analysis of the comment letters received on this matter. Okay, and um, we'll add that link to the podcast into the talking points so people can find them easily. Um, so can you tell us what the comment letter said and what the committee decided as a result of that feedback, please? Well, on, on this one, the majority of respondents agreed with the committee's analysis and observations in the TED. However, a few respondents suggested to expand the final agenda decision to include further analysis around other related accounting questions such as whether the wind farm may need to be consolidated or around whether the arrangement give, gives rise to a derivative. A minority of respondents did not express a view on the committee's technical analysis and only one respondent disagreed with the committee's technical analysis and observations in the TED. So after some debate, the committee decided to add references to two other prior agenda decisions that may be relevant to the fact pattern in the submission, but decided not to add anything further in relation to other related accounting questions that would go beyond the question that was asked by the submitter. My sense is that committee members seem to acknowledge that there are other related accounting questions, but we're mindful that this is often the case when a question is submitted to the committee. And for those reasons, we're inclined to focus the agenda decision on the question that was asked. Nonetheless, as I think I already mentioned in the previous podcast where we covered the June IFRIC meeting, my view is that 
entities should certainly think about whether they might need to consolidate the wind farm and whether there may be a derivative to be accounted for. So I strongly recommend folks to be mindful about those other relating accounting questions in these types of fact patterns. Okay, so assuming that the board ratifies the IFLIX agenda decision then on IFRS 16, we'll be seeing that um, agenda decision in the official IFLIX update shortly. And I'm also hoping, Karsten, that you'll come back and give us an update at a future episode of IFRS Talks on the other topics for initial consideration when they come back to the future committee meeting as well. Um, so, Karsten, thanks again for coming onto the podcast and sharing your insights with us. And thank you again to all our listeners. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.